Good morning, good afternoon, and good night, wherever you're tuning in. We are Slava and Jonathan, bringing you the SideQuest Podcast, where we talk about character development, stories, and all things that are world-building. And we occasionally take side quests, because, frankly, that's how conversations work. Just as a reminder, this whole show is spoiler-heavy. So, sit back, tune in, and join us on this episode of SideQuest. Speaking of stories and all this stuff, this is a, a divergence from our conversation, but it's only going to be for a couple of seconds, I promise. The short story that you keep mentioning that you don't know the title of. Did you find it? I think it might be There Will Come Soft Rains by Ray Bradbury, and we should friggin' read it and discuss it. Good afternoon, Slava. Good afternoon, Jonathan. How, how goes it? goes well. Came back from my work trip, mildly recovered from the time change, and just enjoying the lies. Of Loch Lamora? Yes. The lies of Loch Lamora. Constant, ever-present. What a good title for a book. You're through the second act at this point, I think? I am about 80% done with the second act. Okay. We're discussing the f- prologue and the first act today. And so far, what do you think the title refers to? All the schemes mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of Loch Lamora. Yes. And the gentleman bastards. And the unruly gentleman bastards. That's right. Well, a question that came across my plate recently. Know, I know it's no longer October, but uh, if you were a ghost, who would you haunt? That's a good question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is maybe an enemy or a nemesis. Nemesis? Mm-hmm. Maybe nemesis? One nemesis? One nemesis. Maybe a nemesis. But then I think I would just screw with my friends and just laugh and laugh and laugh as all of you slowly lose your minds. I think based on the question, the premise is that you're a ghost. Okay. Well, yep. it also means that you're... A an unresolved spirit wandering the earth, right? Yeah, I I, I get to set the rules. I, I, I'm the specter, right? Okay, specter. Yeah. yeah. So I'm just I'm here. You're the shadow for silence in the forest of hell. <laughs> Only in the forest of hells do I have a shadow. Yeah, and I don't see myself as some translucent version of Slava walking around floating through doorways. I'm talking conjuring kind of thing. Jump scares in real life with Slava. Fair enough. I think I would make it a game to haunt people where I would pick a demographic of person and then start haunting each of them the same in a specific city and then go to another city and do the same thing with the same demographic, then switch countries and do the same thing, and then do the same thing on trains and planes and make people think that something crazy was going on. And which demographic would you choose? Oh, I would... I would change it up. This is me for eternity. I'm just going to do this. You remember how I said in one of the last episodes that if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be absurdist? Yeah. This is how I would use it. Fair enough. This is a good way to use it. I might um, become the muse to uh, some sort of wonderful artist. Rip. (sighs) But that's what I would do. Those are the folks that I would haunt. I can't see myself as a ghost doing like good, like (laughs) showing people like, here's how your life would be 
if you don't change. And then John Smith. Like the ghost of Pri- Christmas past? Yeah, yeah. I, I am definitely. Or present? Future? Yeah. One of them. Yeah, if there were a book about me, it would be The Lies of Slava the Ghost or something. Mm. Slava uh, the Unpleasant Ghost. Yeah, Slava the Spectre. Spectre Slava. Ah, I like it. Spectre Elder Slava. Yes. Comma Slava. All right, well, let's let's dig in here. As they say, that takes the egg back in the old Victorian eras, which means well done. But before we do, you know what time it is. You salty adventurers, make sure you never miss a podcast by smashing that subscribe button or you'll lose out on your share of all the treasure that lies ahead. Today on SideQuest. Indeed, the treasure of Kimura. So good people, as usual, with a new book and a new author that we haven't covered, I am going to give you a brief summary of each. So Scott Lynch was born in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1978. He is the first of three brothers. He worked as a dishwasher, a waiter, a graphic designer, an office manager, and a cook before accidentally selling his first novel. And that's from his website. He calls it an accidental selling, The Lies of La Clamora, in 2004. And from 2005 to 2016, he served as a paid-on-call firefighter in St. Croix County, Wisconsin. Scott currently lives in Massachusetts with his wife and award-winning science fiction fantasy novelist Elizabeth Baer, along with their three cats, Duncan, Gurney, and Molly, and a moderately ridiculous horse. Just moderately? An Icelandic gelding named Oromar. According to Lynch, he's very much your standard-issue geek of all trades. Quote, I like history, literature, films, beige box, era, Mac stuff, gaming, and game design. And I collect old choose-your-own-adventure novels and Infocom text adventure games. So, yes, you may keep your geek card, Mr. Lynch. The book recovering is, as I already mentioned, The Lies of La Clamora, published in 2006, and it is the first entry in the Gentleman Bastard series. These novels mix caper and fantasy stories, including adventure, violence, dark humor, which you and I like, Jonathan, and intimate friendships, which I guess we have. The Lies of La Clamora takes place in the trade city of Camorra, the story alternates between Locke's life during childhood and his life as an adult in his mid-twenties. The city is known for its towers, bridges, cellars made of elder glass left behind by a civilization known as the Eldrin. Camorra is also known for widespread crime led by the kingpin Kappa Barsavi. A quick note is Warner Brothers bought the rights to the book right after the release. And let the right slaps in 2010. So no movie. And I kind of like it that way. Because I think this movie could be easily ruined by the likes of uh, Hollywood. The Lies of Lac Lamora received several nominations throughout 2007. Resulting in two finalist award positions. And the novel won the Science Fiction Sight Reader's Choice Award soon after publication. There you have it, folks. Jonathan, you want to give us a little uh, plot prologue in Act 1? Yes. So we're going to cover a lot, and 
honestly, this is just a really slim down version that I tried to hit most of the, the plot points. And I know that I didn't do it justice. So strap in and buckle up for your ride into the city of Kamor. In the story, we find ourselves jumping back and forth between the present and the past. Now, I have skipped the notes of the past because I don't want to confuse anyone, but there's a lot of fun that happens in the past, and Slava will talk to us about that shortly. But the prologue begins with the city of Kamor, shrouded in mist and rain, creating a dark and mysterious atmosphere. It's a city built on the ruins of an ancient, enigmatic civilization, and it's a place where the line between nobility and crime blurs. Kamur is a city of thieves and a foundation of lies. A man named the Thiefmaker from Shades Hill is trying to sell an orphan, Locke Lamora, to an eyeless priest, promising him that he is as special as the other orphans he has previously sold him. We hear a little bit of the thief's origins from the Thiefmaker himself, telling us about young Locke Lamora who was a lowly pickpocket and ended up stealing from the guards when he was originally picked up because the thief maker would, even though he has nine broken fingers, so questionable how good he was as a thief maker, ended up finding orphans and taking them in to teach them how to grift and steal and lift and pickpocket and hit the streets. So Locke stole from the guards and... There's something called the secret peace where you don't mess with the guards or the nobility because that will put the whole city into upheaval. And so all of the grifting that happens ends up being small locals and low-end nobility and people who are not covered by the secret peace. The problem is Locke keeps breaking that rule, which is why the thief maker wants to sell him because he's too much trouble. And he tells this as such to Father Chains, the eyeless priest. Now, The eyeless priest taken in a number of well-educated thieves over the years. And this is one more, but he's hesitant because the last few that he's purchased have been questionable in their level of leadership. Carlo and Galdo. But that's, uh, that's beside the point. So he has to get rid of Locke because he keeps breaking the secret piece, which then reflects on him as the thief maker. And if he doesn't, if, uh, if Father Change does not buy him, then he's going to slit his throat because he's still a child, and he can't. So, thankfully, Father Chains is willing to buy Locke's life. And as they make their way into the temple, we are told it's lit by an alchemical globe. And we don't get much explanation on its workings, but that's part of the mystery that makes this town and city unique, which will play into future parts of the story. And Father Chains tells Locke that he only pretends to be a priest of Paralandro, sitting on the steps begging for coins, Because in the evenings, he's actually a priest for the 13th god, which most people don't even believe in. The thief watcher, the crooked warden, the benefactor, father of necessary pretexts. In part of the negotiations, Father Chains has a shark tooth that was issued by Kappa, who is one of the governing entities of the city. And he has it put around Locke's neck because of the things that happened while he was at Shades Hill, because... Locke actually ended up getting a few of his fellow orphans killed and Father Chains has to walk him through the rituals of what it costs to make a death offering on behalf of those that he got killed. And Locke being young doesn't understand why they got killed and then comes to the realization that he's too smart for his own good and 
feels like he's never going to pay it off. But Father Chains runs a pretty tight school, which we see in a bunch of the background information we get throughout the story of how he was training Locke and Carlo and Galdo and Sabatha, who we've never met, and Jacques Tannen. So that's the prologue. We've got a good idea that this is a book about thievery. We understand how the thieves are made and we understand who our main character is. And everything is kind of set up for us to begin. So that's the prologue. It does a great job at world building. Let's step into the chapter one, act one, and cover a few more bases. Again, a lot of text here, but it's a great read, and we'll get into the conversation of it here in a second. So to start chapter one off, the present day takes us to Locke, Carlo Galdo, Jean, and Bug about to commit their next heist against Don Lorenzo Salvara, who is about to run into a dressed up and in disguise, Locke Lamora pretending to be Lucas Fairwhite, being beat up by Carlo and Galdo, and being watched over by Bug to make sure that there's no guards coming to try to set up this ruse. So Locke passes himself as a foreigner, Lucas Fairwhite, from the house of Bell Oster, of the canton of Emberlane, of the kingdom of the Seven Marrows. Which all sounds fine and good. We don't understand that. Don Silvara does. So that's what's important. Don Silvara saves Lucas Fairwhite from the attackers. The attackers escape and he invites him back to his home and starts to chit-chat with him and ask him what he can do to help him in, in the city here. And he goes, oh yes, I'm looking to meet with Don Jacobo. And he says, yes, I'm looking to meet with Don Jacobo. And he goes, why do you need with him? Because Lucas Fairwhite, i.e. Locke Lamora, understands that Don Savara is arch-nemesis with Don Jacobo. So... He purposely builds this ruse around trying to give something to his enemy so that he'll want to buy it. And the ruse is a large store of very secretively made liquor up from Emberlane from a special family who have these unridden casks that need to ship out from Emberlane. And they're going to get a cut of the entire um, shipment because there's issues going on with Emberlane. But... The ruse is based on the fact that it takes days to get to Emberlane, so he's hoping that he doesn't have any direct information from there. Turns out he doesn't, which is good. And he's sold on the ruse. And the Don and Danya are in on this grift, waiting to give them roughly 25,000 or uh, 45,000 crowns. I don't remember which. 25. Thank you. So then, uh, suddenly, a couple dark figures find themselves in Don Silvaro's house where he is bidden alone and these two dark figures give up the ruse that Lucas Fairwhite is not actually who he says he is and the Duke wants him to continue giving Lucas Fairwhite all of his money because they're trying to catch these guys and make sure that they never do this again. And the Don's like, but that's all my money. What do you mean? And these dark figures are like, just play it out. The Duke will pay you back. No problem. Thus, the ruse has been set, the trap has been laid, and the book continues to unravel in back and forths between how Locke and Carlo and Galdo and Jean were raised and trained and all of the different skills they were built with by Father Chains to get to where they are today. And there's actually an interesting piece here where in the present day, they after they pull back some of the information or some of the money from their ruse here, this heist that we're talking about, 
they have three large cisterns or wells of white crowns that are just, it's like the equivalent of $70 million because they just don't spend it. Chains taught them the skills to go acquire it, but never gave them a vision on what to spend it on, which we think will play into the story as it unfolds. Anyway, that is, there's one last thing. As Act 1 is ending, we meet someone, well, we hear about someone called the Grey King, who's stringing up other thieves and mafia bosses, if you will, and draining them of blood by cutting off their balls and harassing them and, and desecrating their bodies throughout the city of Kamor. And so this is spreading pretty quickly like wildfire throughout the Garistas, the, the leaders of these thief guilds. So they've heard about this person, the Grey King, and that is going to build up into a boiling plot really quickly. So good. So there's a bunch more to cover from the past training of young Locke and the Gentleman Bastards, but we'd be here all day if we did. Just read the book. It's very fun. I promise you'll enjoy it. It's a little slow on the front end, but it's worth it. The payoff's there. I have two people that I can quote that said the payoff is there. Slava's only just started, but Spencer read it, and he really loved it too. So um, just from the prologue and Act 1, we have some excellent world building, character development, heist antics, and a citywide plot that is reaching a boiling point very quickly. So, it was long-winded, but I hope you're still with me. It's a really excellent book that's underrated and still not very well discovered. So, Slava, from the first act, I want to know, what are your impressions of the story so far? You had the prologue, you had act one. What were your initial, just give me the, the initial emotions and feels you had for this tale. Sure. It was another tale that you suggested that I felt drew me in right away. That happened with Warbreaker, that happened with The Way of Kings, although a little less with The Way of Kings as compared to Warbreaker. Those Sanderson books, this Lynch book, it pulled me in. It's very nice to have a book, even if it's a little slow, according to some people, it still is captivating. It's an intriguing the way the book starts with this little kid, you're like, what the hell did he do that he's going to get his throat slit? Mm-hmm. Even though the thief maker is getting rid of him, he's still going to kill the other kids that were involved in whatever right. the log did. So that's already interesting. And as you're pulled into this world, it's clear it's unlike any other world. Yes, it's based on medieval Venice. Although I would counter and say... It starts out like jolly old England, and then quickly in Act 1, you're like, oh yeah, this is kind of Venice. But in my humble estimation, it feels like a mixture of both with a heavy leaning on Venice. And because of that, and because of the stuff you mentioned in the plot points that you went over, where this was this alchemine globe that was glowing, and the ships, and the ports, and there's this magical system although it's not necessarily magic in the way magic is in the worlds of... It's got a science to it. Say Sanderson and Will White, it has a science to it. So for me, it really reminds me of the game Dishonored and maybe Bioshock. So in my head, what I thought of was like, you take the world of Dishonored, you take a little bit some themes and this dark feel of Bioshock, you mash them together, you put them into medieval Venice, slap on a plot that kind of looks like 
a more harrowing and more intense Ocean's Eleven, mm-hmm. and you have your story. So that by itself, I picked up from the prologue and the first maybe third of Act One. I was thoroughly enthralled. I was pulled in. I like it. I really like it. I'm in the second half of the second act right now, mm-hmm. and wow, I am hooked, dude. That kind of writing, those kind of plot twists, the the tension that's set up, it's good. Uh, I I don't know what else to say. I could say a lot of adjectives, but it's just it's just a well done. Mm-hmm. Act two is amazing. It only gets better. What's better than a horse urine and uh, daughter murder? Ooh, stay tuned for those. Those are actual plot points. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. Uh, and then books two and three are even better. So Okay, I'm down. They continue to build. And the reason that they're better is because the character development continues to be deep. Scott Lynch doesn't pull any punches in terms of making sure that his characters are forced to deal with difficult situations and then address their circumstances and selves for better or worse that happens so that's fun which is great what questions do you have at the moment well i text you that i want to know more about Locke's childhood specifically his time with father chains i would read a whole book on just little Locke going through his training with uh, father chains so it'd be nice to see if we could get more than just the interludes. Because I have a question about his parents. I have a question of how he found himself on the street. I have a question about how the thief maker picked him up. I want to know who this uh, girl is that's part of the gentleman bastards that would be welcome back if she was less crazy and more humble. Sabatha. That's fun. You'll meet her in book uh, two. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And then I don't know if I have any questions like the ones you brought up in What's that book that we covered? Oh, Roadside Picnic. I'm not necessarily confused or find the world lacking because I understand there's two more books and I'm enjoying the slow build, slow burn, although it's not really a slow burn of a book. I'm enjoying the story as it unfolds. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't expect you to have the same type of questions that i had with roadside picnic because roadside picnic was a series of vignettes this is not a well okay that's not entirely true the glimpses at the past are a series of vignettes but those are second class to the main plot that we're going through in the present time which is why i wouldn't expect you to have questions about the world the way that i had questions about roadside picnic I don't have a lot of questions, and I don't have a lot of detailed questions. I'm not trying to pull back the proverbial wallpaper on this. Mm -hmm. I think there's a couple of things that would be interesting to know. I already mentioned them. But as the story unfolds, but the main plot, it's fast-paced enough. Bug falling off the roof, jumping off the roof just to save the guys from being found out by the guard. That's already enough. That's enough uh, caper, yeah. fun adventure. Right, because there's a lot going on. It doesn't feel like the side characters are side characters. Mm-hmm. You feel like they're main characters almost, even though Locke is really the main character. Because you have enough detail about the other characters and what they're up to, that makes them feel more real, I think. I'd agree with that. Because Bug, who is Bug? He's this 12-year-old kid that... The new round of gentlemen bastards, because mm-hmm. Father Chains is dead. 
Yep. Locke is the new Garista. Picked up another kid. It seems like the band is really small. But they picked up this other kid called Bug, and he's 12 years old. And they're all joshing him. He's joshing them. <laughs> they all have this really cool relationship, kind of like almost like brothers, you know, big brothers, little brothers relationship. Mm-hmm. And obviously he's low man on the totem pole and low character on the character pole. But his so-called screen time actually feels like he's an integral part of the, the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And obviously the dialogue and the relationship that is you know, written in by Lynch that makes him feel more real and more part of the story. Yeah. He each each of them does, which is something I like. Um perfect. Well I uh how many how many books am I in uh that I've called that you would really enjoy? Cause uh I'm gonna say Warbreaker number one and I'm gonna rank them by how much I like them. Mm-hmm. Warbreaker number one Liza Lacklamora, number two, Way of Kings, number three, and the Cradle series, which are three books. So if you want to add all three books, this is like seven books in. But three authors, three different worlds, um, you're you're batting a thousand. What about Name of the Wind? Because you and I read Name of the Wind as well. Okay, so eight, four, four, right? Four authors. So I like that too. I like that too. Yeah. And I started the second book, The Slow Regard for Silent No, that's Things. not the second book. That's book 2.5 actually. So the second book is A Wise Man's Fear. Okay, so I've started both of those, 2.5 and 2, and I've never finished them because life and podcasts yeah. and other yeah. books came along. We'll get to but it. But I really like uh, A Wise Man's Fear. Slow Regard is okay i don't hate it i don't love it slow regard i i don't think i ever recommended because it's a very weird book rothfuss even talks about the fact that it's a weird book because it's about ari and she's a character who's been broken because of life which is fine but the way that she sees reality is fractured and so he wrote a fractured story which is good for storytelling from the character's point of view not a good commercially viable story right because you have to be a fan of the book or at least a fan of the author yeah or at the very very least a fan of weird shit like i am to be able to even go eh, it's okay right right so if we're going to take the four authors that you introduced to me and i read at least two books by each of them mm-hmm. however you want to count it so a hundred percent of the shit you suggested i've enjoyed <laughs> But this is the thing is, and we've talked about this a little bit. When we first started the podcast, you're like, eh, I mean, I guess I'll read fantasy. Like, that was your response. That was Slava's response originally. And I was like, no, no, no. Look, just trust me. I understand your hesitations, and I know the type of fantasy you're talking about, and the suggestions I'm going to bring to the table are not that. Right. And they weren't. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They each have their own unique spin, and I I really love that. Um, Now, there's a bunch of commercially viable staple stuff that's kind of kitschy. I think it's called the Dungeon Series by Dakota Kraut, where this dungeon is, like, alive, and it's developing. And so, like, it's a 10-book series or something like that. I listened to all of them. They were good. Not something that I would drive you towards, because I feel like I know what will keep people entertained for the most part. I'm also willing to say, like, hey, this was a good book, because I really enjoyed it. Well, that's not a good opener. This was a good book because of XYZ Reasons. But I don't know if you'll enjoy it because of X, Y, Z reasons, right? So yeah. there's a difference there. Oh, sorry. The Divine Dungeon series. That's what it's called by Dakota Kraut. Seven book series where the dungeon develops and progresses. This is progression fantasy as well. 
throughout the narrative and the main character has like a soul tie to the dungeon because of reasons and he has to help the dungeon level up and stuff like that. So it's interesting and it's kind of unique, but it's not unique enough the way that Scott Lynch's story compared to Sanderson's story is like, oh wow, these are very different and unique, but also intriguing, right? So there's other stories that I've read that I haven't suggested for us because I don't think that they will capture you the same. And frankly, the the series is that we have started. I think that we will have people want to hear the, our thoughts on the rest of them because you're coming in as a new viewer. I mean, we're doing this with Stormlight Archives. So, yeah. And speaking of stories and all this stuff, this is a, a divergence from our conversation, but it's only going to be for a couple of seconds, I promise. The short story that you keep mentioning that you don't know the title of. Do you find it? I think it might be There Will Come Soft Rains by Ray Bradbury, and we should friggin' read it and discuss it. I don't know if this is really it or not yet. I will glance at it later. But, like, how'd you come up with that? I literally put into the Google search a short story about a smart house that doesn't know its owners are dead, and then I went to Cora and read it, went down the rabbit trail of a few threads. One guy said, I think based on your question, it might be this. And he linked it to the to the Wikipedia write-up on this Ray Bradbury short story. All right, I'll take a look at it. But that'd be pretty cool. If, if that is, is the case, we'll end up reading it because I remember really, really liking it in 10th grade or whatever. Yeah, Ray Teacher's Bradbury class. would have been 10th grade reading when you were in 10th grade. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, anyway, so, sackwest over. There will come soft rains. All right. Well, we'll get back to that. Okay. Let's um. Let's get back to Locke, Jean, do and Carlo and Galdo. Which is your favorite character so far, and why? I like Locke because he reminds me of me a little bit. I'm a cocky little bastard, <laughs> so I like. We couldn't Locke tell. for that. No, really. Okay. Um, I like Locke. Father Chains seems like an interesting fatherly. You know that seasoned thief guy who Mm -hmm. encourages and he's the gandalf he's the oracle he's the guide as opposed to the thief maker who's a piece of shit he actually cares about you know the the boys under his care Uh, that's true right Mm -hmm. so i like them but they're easy to like i kind of like bug he seems fun and then jean John seems like an interesting guy, too. In Act 2, you get a little bit of his backstory and how he came to lose his parents, because a lot of these people are orphans. All of these people are orphans. There you go. How he lost his parents and how Locke and him became friends. You get a morsel of that in Act 2. So I think I like those characters right now. The twins, listen. Sansa twins? Yes. The reference to Ocean's Eleven is not just because both are capers. Ocean's Eleven has a list of, list of characters, and Rusty and uh, Danny and the others, mm-hmm. they all have their own little quirks, right? <laughs> so same here. So the twins have their own quirks. Bug has his own quirk, Locke, and all the others. But if you're asking what characters like appeal to me, which ones I like, which ones I want to know more about, yeah, it's Chains, it's John, and it's Locke. I would love to see a precursor book. That's not the word. What, what word do I want? A, a prequel. 
Prequel, prequel, prequel. That's what I want. I want a prequel that's about Father Chains. Yeah, leading up to him finding luck. Even before that, right? Like, how did he become the priest of Landro? I keep getting it mixed up with Paralandro, which we read also, which was good. We did read that, right? C.S. Lewis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did read yeah, that, yeah. right? Okay, we read out of the Paralandra. Oh, Paralandra now... and Paralandro. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you're Oof. welcome. So, yeah, I, I think... Look, I love Locke and Jean and the and the twins and Bug. Like, they're great. But for characters that really feel like a side character, but also you know that they're not, Father Chains, all the way. I want to know, does he have any gentleman bastards who didn't make it? Because he's probably got some. I imagine so. I feel like he kind of alludes to that. You know, not every one of them's a winner. Whether they ran off like Sabatha or they got caught and lost or whatever. Killed. But it's such a good ruse, right? Like, being... It's, there's just so many layers to this book. There's being a priest of Paralandro, sitting on the steps and begging for coins, and then secretly being part of this, like, 13th god who doesn't exist, that, according to most people, that but people, like, know the, the ghost stories of, basically. It's partly why I picked the, the question for this episode about ghosts, is, like, this spooky god that no one really talks about. Because it seems like folklore, but also everyone knows about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the layers of like being thieves and the, you know, religion of the world where the thieves have to make death offerings for those they've lost. It seems like well-oriented world building. And this is why a lot of the books that I pick have more robust world building, even though you don't get all the answers and you don't know like, what is the date? What does noon feel like there? What is... You know, an, an evening stroll feel like you get enough that you understand the depths of the world, right? Yeah, definitely. I agree with that. There's a lot more in Act 2. Yeah, we'll get uh, there. So we'll get there. Spare I'll shut us. up. Yep. I'll shut up and spare you. But yes, to your question, absolutely yes. You get enough of everything to captivate you, right? To be interested, to continue with the story. Mm-hmm. And that's why... In part, at least, I said I don't have a lot of questions because the story's moving. Like, apart from the the two or three I mentioned that yeah. I'd like to know, I am not stopped in my tracks going, oh, wait a minute. what What is going on here? Well, I'd really like to know A or B because I don't understand what Locke is doing in Chapter 6. There is nothing yet which gave me pause. Everything's just moving at incredible pace. Right. And... The world's building is good. The character building is good. We even have a little bit of growth. We're we already halfway through the book and have all yep. this cool stuff happening. Yeah. I think yeah. the reason the pacing feels fast is because it's chopped up into multiple layers. You've got present day, you've got past, and then you have interludes, which are kind of past, but also like seem different than some of the past information we get. Unless I'm misremembering, and those are actually the past. In the audiobook I'm reading, the way it's broken up is you have chapters, and then within those chapters, you have interludes, and each yeah. interludes has like three or four parts. Mm-hmm. And then each chapter is also broken up by parts. So mm-hmm. my audiobook is very detailed in how it breaks stuff up. Mine's not. They shoved everything into like chapter one. It's divided into acts, which I, which is how I... Wanted us to put, split these episodes up, but it's like Act 1, Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, uh, or 1, 2, 3, whatever, and then Act 2, 4 through 8, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it didn't cut the interludes for me. Yeah, and mine has the same way in the scheme of things. It's still acts, right? Mm-hmm. I still have four acts, but each act is broken up in a very detailed way. 
Uh, that would have been nice. I don't think that one was around yet. I think as a group in popularity, they, they did a new rendition to try to make more money, which is fair. Like, I, I would love for Scott to get some more money out of this. This is actually part of a seven-book series. He had some mental health issues, and so he stopped working on book four, which is called The Thorn of Emberlane. But that was back in, like, 2015, I want to say. So you're saying Locke moves to a different town and becomes a thorn there. Well... We don't know because book three doesn't end in Amberlane. Hmm. I'll just leave it at that. Scott seems to be doing better based on some of his posts from February, but then he went silent again. But you see him post on Twitter regularly. He says he has a first draft of The Thorn of Amberlane, and then he also has a draft of two novellas he wants to do, which would be books released. So they'd be novellas that sit between both of those. And they're okay. like gap stories, which sounds great, honestly, because I, you know, once you read this first book, you realize like, they're going to always be pulling griffs, and so there's so many stories you could tell with this. It's really unfounded how many stories you could tell in this world with what's going on and still be in canon and what have you. But going back to my point that I think the pacing feels fast because of the layering of the story. And this is something for the those of you in the audience that have been, that have been with us since the beginning, you've noticed, especially me, or at least me, mention pacing a lot. Mm-hmm. And every book that we've read, suggested by you, Jonathan, <laughs> yes, the they pacing, have. The pacing has been amazing, and they've all been different paces. Yes, and so when we're talking about Sanderson and the pace is just right, and things are moving, and Bridge Four is advancing, and Sill is doing her thing, and Caledon is you know from slave to general or. Whatever. Bridge leader, et cetera, Bridge et leader to lieutenant to yep. uh, captain. To captain, right? Thank you. It took like a thousand pages to get there, <laughs> but the pace was still good. It was well right. done, right? Right. This is much faster than anything Sanderson has written, and it's done well. Yes. Yeah. So, what's interesting, and I was going to make this point, so I'm glad that you brought it up, is actually Sanderson's pacing picks up in books two, three, and four, and the reason that is is because he's established such a deep character development with Kaladin and Shallan that when he switches main focus, he'll dive back into some of Kaladin's story, but he doesn't need to give all the details. He can just kind of give you the, the, the high, high points because you just spent book one with him going through the bridge cruise. So you're already caught up. You're already attached to the character. And so there's this layering that starts to happen in two and three and four where we're jumping around to different characters like a movie. And it doesn't feel confusing because, or at least it doesn't feel confusing to me, because you, you've you already had a lot of time with each of these characters. Like in book two, when we dive into some of Dalinar's stuff, which is not a whole lot of the story, but it's some of it, you're like, oh, I know Dalinar. Oh, I know these things that he's been through. Oh, I know that he's like overcome whatever. Sanderson figured his layering out by large tomes. And so he can have that pacing afterward. Lynch hit a home run on his first book. Certainly, you can see that here, where he layers it between present and past and just knocks it out of the park. I think that Rothfuss, Patrick Rothfuss for Name of the Wind, also did a decent job. No, he did a good job in his layering between present and past because you're so. immersed in it. Yes. It just doesn't chop around as much as Lynch's does, which is why Lynch's feels faster. I can buy that for a dollar. Something that came to me as you were talking about past and present, my favorite author, or one of my favorite authors, Stephen King, his book, It, it jumps timelines, right? Mm, There's a past timeline, a present timeline, 
and the kids fighting it in the past and the adult version of the kids fighting it in the present. And it's also to like a thousand pages or something like that, like 900 pages. But it doesn't bore you. Even when you get a chapter of exposition and maybe history of the town, right? It doesn't bore you. But that's because King. Like, and I know I'm biased. There is a good way to do this. And some authors just have a knack for keeping people captivated, keeping people in the story. Whether it jumps, slows down, peaks, valleys, you need 700 words on a backstory of a character. Whatever that is, a good writer, a seasoned writer, hey, hell, a new writer with some talent. He'll keep you, uh, he'll mm-hmm. keep you enthralled. It's true. Do you think you'll ever finish your book? Writing it? Mm-hmm. And then publishing it? Yes, I, I hope to. I rewrote the first paragraph of the prologue <laughs> this weekend. So well, brilliant. Take that take it take that okay. for what it's worth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So perfect. Yep. It's <laughs> probably gonna be a, a short story slash novella. The plot and the story I'm trying to tell does not fit into a book. I just don't see it. That's fair. Where do you think you'll release it? If all goes well, I'll probably release it on Amazon, do a self-published thing, and just say, hey, five bucks, one buck, whatever, you know, it seems fair. I'll do some research mm-hmm. on the genre, because it's going to be kind of a thriller, horror genre, uh, non-supernatural. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Great. Well, we're uh, we're winding down here. Let's do our scale. Love it. So we have a one to five scale with .5s as markers as well, if we deem that to be the case. One is the worst, five is the best. One includes there's so many changes that it can't even be a good book. Like, oh, let's say The City in the City. One is there's so many changes that it's a book that we have strong complaints about. And five is there are no changes. Because previously we've done a one to five rating, but we didn't define our terms. And so now we've tried to start defining our terms where fives are if we don't have any changes. Where the book is just so good that... Even if we did some nitpicking, like there's still no real changes to handle things off. So that's our rating system. And with that, let's hear from Slava about his rating for the story, characters, and world. Story and plot, what do you got, Slava? I got four. Although, I'm going to raise it in the second act. I'm already halfway through the second act. When I wrote the scale out, when I put these notes in, I just finished act one. And knowing that we're going to do four episodes, I wanted to get my first scale numbers in. So I went in there and, and did it. So story plot is a four. Okay. Characters? 4.5. Why? They are interesting. They don't feel like, what was the word we used? They don't, the, the, the supporting characters don't feel like they're supporting characters. You have character growth, even in Act 1. I know I mentioned Act 2 a lot. But mm-hmm. even in Act 1, you have character growth. You have this figure that kind of takes up the whole page, for lack of a better term, Father Chains. Yeah. You have this little boy, Locke, who you find very endearing. You want to know what the heck happened to this kid. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the cast, even the thief maker. You, you got Capa Brasave. You got his little daughter. All these things is what makes me give 4.5 of the characters because they are so well written. So what's lacking? Where's that point five missing? Right now, I think it's honestly because I haven't finished it, and I want to be uh, 
want to be careful because I couldn't oh, okay. tell you. I honestly couldn't okay. tell you. Like, okay. w- what could you add just for, for just for grins? Sure. Maybe sure. you can make Locke have more internal dialogue. Okay. Maybe that would push it over to a five. Maybe. So there's something that's missing for you. Okay. What about the world? The world, I gave it a five. I think it's very, very interesting world. And I know it's an overused adjective, but there's just so much going on. And more so, it's how I feel about it, right? It's very nostalgic to me because it reminds me of two games that I really, really liked playing when I played them. Bioshock series and Dishonored series. Although it's not as amped up as it is in Liza Lock Lamora, it's not as amped up as it is <laughs> the in Jewish Liza version. Lock the Lies of Lock Menorah. Yeah, right. The world feels like those things, and because I like weird stories, off the beaten path kind of stuff when it comes to books, Lynch built a world that I would just be predisposed to. I like weird, atypical. So here you got a writer who does characters well. You got a writer who has an interesting plot, and you have a world that fits that niche that I like, right? So I'm going to give it a five. Love it. All right. Well, now it's your turn. You got to tell me, what a, What do you think about the story and plot? It's a five. Our rating system is five is when we have no changes for the story. So no changes here. The story's great, right? It's well thought out. It's layered. There's a lot going on. The The world feels big. The story feels big. The characters feel big. So a five for me. What about the characters? Characters are a five. No changes. It's got a diverse cast. Everybody's got some different quirks, just like you mentioned. People have different strengths and weaknesses that are well used, both in plot and in character. Uh, The characters have some growth, and the characters make the world feel real. Five. I like that. I like what you just said. The characters make the world feel real. Mm -hmm. And I think, for me, that part of me that likes the weird stuff there's a good balance. The characters fit the world. The story and plot fits the world. You got this medieval Venetian caper story. You got these colorful characters. You got dukes and duchesses and all sorts of weird shit. You got horse urine murders. How can you go wrong, man? We'll get such... to episode two, Slava. I'm Calm down. wetting their Calm whistle. Down. I'm wetting their whistle. Well, I don't want to wet urine. my whistle with horse urine, right? The world. Are you going to tell me a five, too? I am going to tell you a five. Yeah, because I don't have any changes. I've read a lot of books with a lot of world building. I think that the world comes alive because of the characters and the story and the side characters and the subplots. This book ends with a twist, and it's wild. So stay tuned for that. It's just so good. I don't have any... You know me. I, I have opinions on how stories can be better. I even have minor things with Sanderson's books where it's like, oh, this could be better, this could be better. It's still great, but with Lynch, it's just like, he nailed it, man. Like, he just, he did it, and it's awesome, and it's fun, and people love it, and it's unique. Well, I know I love it. All right, Slava, as we land this plane, you're so excited about Act 2. Why don't you set up the next episode for us? So, the next episode, we have our friends Locke and his merry band of gentlemen bastards playing this con on Don Salvari. And, as we learned, guy gets his balls cut off and bleeds out. The guy who did that to the thief, we get to meet him, and his name is the Grey King. 
And let me tell you, emasculation is not the only way he murders. He also involves bats of horse urine. Just, you know, as a something we haven't mentioned this episode. Yeah. So I'm excited because there's two twists or antes, if you will, in the plot that are really cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, all I'm going to say, I am very excited about the next episode. I really do. Slava said something insulting to me in text. He said, this book is better than The Way of Kings, which I have opinions on. We won't get into them because I'm trying to end the episode. But um, no, I, Let's unpack it. Let's unpack our uh, wrestling ship right now. Nope. Nope. We're going to do that later. <laughs> off air. We're going to do that off air. <laughs> Not going to make that joke. Um, right. So he said something insulting. But I feel like we can all tell that Slava's got more energy for this book than The Way of Kings. And I think it's it really does come down to pacing. It's everything. It's story and plot and characters and world. But I think it's the pacing, which we don't um we don't have as a rate we don't have a rating for, and I really think we should start talking about. Anyway, that's my little shtick. So the pacing then is a five for me. Great. It's also a five for me because of the layering, which we, we already spoke about, but I just think it should be added to our rating system. Because we see, I mean, you guys are you guys are listening. Like Slava's more energetic about this than he was with the Way of Kings, even though the Way of Kings was good, really good. It, he just wasn't as excited about it in the first act, the way he is about this. So, even though I uh, I should take offense to what he said, I will let it slide because he hasn't read the other nineteen books in the Way of Kings in the Cosmere, so he doesn't have as much stacked up on this. So we'll just we'll give it to him this time. But, uh, yeah, we'll just give it to him this time. Right. Well, Jonathan, I stand by what I said. Lynch is a far superior writer than Sanderson. Oh, my God. And um, I have no idea why I made us read that drivel. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you understand what couples therapy looks like here on SideQuest. You don't want to miss it because someone's getting a black eye. It's Jonathan. Uh, uh, it's I'm not. Alpha. <laughs> I took martial arts classes. It's not going to be me. I, I'm not a gentleman. I'm just a bastard. We know. 